My name's Patricia King, and today I have an exciting message for you to hear. Stop! What are you thinking? We can't make it look like Patricia King is endorsing fighting. <clears throat> Hi, folks. Uh, Chris Rosebeer here. Just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and your financial contributions to continue to bring this important radio outreach to you as well as to the world. And unfortunately, we don't have the the major cash resources that... Patricia King does, but we have you, our listener audience, to help uh, support us financially so that we can keep bringing this radio program to you into the world. If you don't already support Fighting for the Faith financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And there are perks to being a crew member. Just keep listening to the program to find out what the latest perk is. And, of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. We loved making it. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. Here we go. It's time... Another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, Thursday, April 21st, 2011. This is the day that we remember the night when Jesus was betrayed by Judas Iscariot. This is the night that we remember Jesus' sufferings. His passion that began with him being betrayed, arrested, and put on trial all night long. And also, first time the Lord's Supper was administered. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and to help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there, and we like to do our comparative work. Now, one of the things I've mentioned in the past, uh, you know, in, in running this program, sometimes I get emails from people on my Facebook wall. Chris, how do you do what you do? How do you listen to all these horrible sermons and keep your sanity? Uh, well, the answer to the question, um, well, first of all, it's Christ who maintains my sanity, and what I do is a service to you, my neighbor. And so, I think that helps a lot. But the other part of it, about it is is that I don't just, uh, this isn't all that I do. And what I mean by that is is that one of the things, it's not, I, I'm a firm believer that it's not enough. It's not, it's not enough to always be critiquing. You've got to, you, there's a Bible passage that talks about overcoming evil with good. And when you read that in, in context, it's talking about good behavior. And uh, I think a similar principle applies when it comes to bad theology and bad doctrine. We can sit here and critique all the time, and I, you know, and which is one of the things I do. You know, I but I'm always using bad theology as a means of springing into and you know teaching what the Bible really does say on a thing. 
And so it, it's it think of it as this is an intro course to theology and evidential apologetics. Uh, although I I have some respect for uh, Vantilian uh, evident uh, not evidential but uh, presuppositional apologetics. I get it. In fact, it's you know I understand the basic principles of it, and I keep it as a as a as an arrow in my quiver. Uh, just like from time to time, I, I you know I'll even whip out a philosophical argument if I need to when I'm sharing the gospel with somebody. But the point I'm making here is is that, it, I, you know, it's about teaching something positive. And so I'm excited by the fact that um, that uh, we are we are just on the on the on the eve of releasing really our first for sale. In the right format, uh, EPUB uh, Kindle book, and, uh, and oh man, these are fantastic. I I I've put a couple of samples on my uh, Letter of Mark blog, and if you're listening to this and it's and uh, in it's been more than a few days, they're not there anymore. But um, we're the book that we're publishing here is uh, we've got 13 sermons from Martin Luther on the passion and sufferings of Jesus Christ. And these things are amazing. They, oh my goodness, uh, they read like, in in a sense, they kind of read like a a, a lay a layman level um, commentary on these biblical passages. And uh, and and so I, you know, I've been editing them. Uh, I have help with the uh, with the text entry to getting it to the point where uh, then you know we we got the rough. How do I put it? We get all the text into uh, the computer. I've got help for that, and then I I I go back through and do the final edits and get it pr- and get it laid out and stuff like that. And uh, so my days have been really really busy. And, in fact, I've had very little time for Farmville. Uh, but oh man, these are great, and I can't wait to get them out to you. Um, and so what we're going to be doing is is that everybody who is an active member of our crew, if you are a a, crew, a member of our crew. And uh, I know that the, a lot of you are listening to this, and you're you know you're like you know thirty days behind and and stuff like that. Um, here's the deal: is that if you're an active member of our crew on the day that we publish this uh, this work, you will be receiving an email. Now, if some of you are crew members because you actually physically send in a check, don't worry. We're we're going to send out a letter to you that that'll give you the the download link. And and so what'll happen is is that. If you join our crew or are a member of our crew on the day we release the book, and for 30 days after, if you join the crew, uh, you will get a con- you you know, we'll we'll send you the link to the book, and uh, and you know th- this is oh man these are so good they are so good, uh, particularly powerful are um are two sermons talking about the temp you know comparing the temptation of Judas, and uh, the fall of Judas and the fall of Peter. And oh man, just amazing, comforting law gospel in a way that um, it's untainted by the uh, the pietism, uh, piety, pietism conflict. It's it's not tainted by any of that stuff. And oh man, these are really really good. So uh, be looking forward to that. Be looking forward to that. If you are a member of our crew, like I said, uh, and and you join. Uh, and so I guess probably the better way of putting it is, is that if you are currently a member of our crew at the day on the day we release it, we will send you the link to uh, download the book. If you join our crew anytime between now and the end of uh, in the end of May, then you will get uh, then, you know, we'll send you the link also so that you can get a copy of the book. 
And, um, you know, and you know, so, the, you know, understand that that's that, that'll happen. But uh, we've got other books that we're working on in, in the process. I've got uh, some stuff from Martin Luther on uh, his sermons on First Peter and uh, the, uh, the Epistle of Jude. I've got uh, we we've got the all the texts entered and we're still you know we've got a, a long way to go on this one but uh, Jake Retchamation's book uh, the origin of Paul's religion fantastic stuff um, we also have uh, a, you know an edition of uh, CFW Walther's the proper distinction of long gospel that we're going to be making available so we got a lot of stuff in the hopper here and so I, I'm very excited about this so be looking forward. To this and and if you're if you're not a member of our crew and and you not and you don't want to join our crew you will actually be able to purchase the book um, and we're going to be selling it for nine dollars and ninety five cents and I've got all of the 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 um, coding all the computer coding and plumbing set up so that when you purchase it you'll be able to download it immediately so yeah oh man I I am so excited about this but. Uh, if you're listening today or if you're listening anytime, I'd just say, you know, before, um, you know, I'll probably take down that, uh, you know, I've been putting samples up and I'm keeping them up for a few days. So there's two sermons currently on the Letter of Mark blog. If you haven't heard them, uh, if you haven't taken taken a look at those samples, go and, and read them. If not, then, uh, you know, if you're a member of the crew, then you, you get it anyway. <sighs> just had to get that. So yeah, the answer, the answer, you know, kind of coming back to my original question is, is that, I, I think I think we've lost sight of what really good theology is, and I'm not convinced that um, the best theologians that Christianity has ever had are currently alive and living. And so, um, thankfully, so much stuff is out there. And uh, and you know, and through my research and my writing, uh, reading and writing and other stuff like that, I run into these things. And so, we're going to be making them available to you as a means of helping you really sink your teeth into some good, thought-provoking, gospel-centered, Christ-focused, not tainted by liberalism uh, theology. This is stuff that you uh, that will really, really feed your soul. And so, that that's one of the things that helps me is. by working on the positive aspect as well as uh, having to do the uh, the comparative work that we do here at Fighting for the Faith. Anyway, yeah, so there you go. That's the answer to the question. I'm excited. This is some good stuff that we've got coming out, and we are so close. <laughs> We're so. <laughs> I'm thinking. It, I if it's not Monday, if if we don't if we're not ready to send it out on Monday, it, it, no later than Wednesday of next week. I mean, but uh, you know, the, the the tricky part is all the juggling that we have to do. Uh, you know, because you know, I do the program. I'm the general editor on these books, and so you, you get what I'm saying. All right, let's talk. <laughs> let's talk about what we're going to talk about on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. Um, on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith, I have a Perry Noble update, and I, I, um, I, I'm not on my Facebook wall right now, and I'd have to go back and find the person who tipped me off to this. Um, but um, last week we did a Perry Noble update. And Perry Noble was confronted by uh, Pastor James McDonald at the Elephant in the Room conference uh, regarding his uh, his decision to play ACDC's ACDC's Highway to Hell uh, to launch their Easter service. I played part of that exchange and commented on the fact that he twisted three biblical passages: one from Isaiah, uh, one from the Book of Acts, and one from Math and one from Matthew, in order to justify this. And and if you listen to that segment, you remember that he ended off by basically asking the question: What if God's Spirit led us to do that? 
Well, it's funny that he would say that. It's funny he would say that. So we're I've got because uh, at this year's Unleash conference, Perry Noble actually discussed how he came up with the idea to play Highway to Hell uh, at the at the Easter service a couple of years ago at New Spring. And um, I want you to hear what he said, and I'll put it back in context of the Elephant in the Room uh, conference because. Um, um, let's just say that two plus two isn't equaling four here, and so I, I, I need another set of ears, your set of ears, uh, listening in on this and see what you think. Um, let's see. Then I, oh man, um, do I even want to talk about this? <laughs> no, I don't. But I'm going to. Um, yeah. uh, Relevant magazine, um, yeah, which is supposedly a Christian. Leadership magazine, relevant magazine. Um, uh, they um, they've got a um, an article um, in the missional section. Um, Ten ways to make Earth Day count, and uh, and um, apparently you know Earth Day and Easter are all kind of mixed up together this week, and uh, so we can have an Earth Day Easter. Just can't make this stuff up. Just can't make this stuff up anymore. Anyway, so we'll take a look at that. I might counter it with an article entitled Earth Day Won't Save Us. Um, and then I've got a, an Albert Muller uh, piece uh, entitled Throwing the Bible Under the Bus. This is Albert Muller's take on uh, Carl Giberson's, uh, Giberson, Giberson, I don't know how to pronounce it. Anyway, Carl Giberson's uh, piece about uh, Jesus would be an evolutionist. Um. Yeah, because he's so committed to truth. But anyway, so I, I, I th- that's what we got there. And then our sermon review today. Oh man, it's a long one. It's a long one. In fact, it's so long. I might, if if time permits me, I might even you know cut into the second break a little bit early and then uh, and then get to it. It's from a church in Minnesota, and uh, Todd Friel of Wretched Radio uh, kind of tipped me off to this church. And uh, they they recently did a concluded a sermon series entitled um, "The Way of the Samurai." Yeah, um, I don't even know. I, you'll just have to listen to it. It's the way of the samurai, and it's supposedly the sermon is about focus. And uh, the the pastor tells everybody near the beginning of the sermon that it's important to have this audacious focus on Jesus. And then spends the next 45 minutes not really preaching about Jesus at all, but preaching about himself and his vision. So uh, apparently he hasn't really learned the way of the samurai yet. So that's going to be our sermon review. It's a longer one, so I, I might start it a little bit early. It just depends on whether or not I wax eloquent in the uh, the first hour. So with that, um, I think it's time that uh, we dive into the program proper. It really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as long as I do it with a flair. That's right. Ah, yes. That can mean only one thing, Perry Noble. We're going to be talking about Perry Noble. For it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as long as I do it with a flair. And it really doesn't matter what I say, what I say, as long as I say it with a flower. <laughs> First I rattle off a ready stock of gibberish and, and puppy cock and fix you with my best hypnotic stare. Ooh. 
with my moans and groans and soporific tones. They have cheered me everywhere. For it really doesn't matter what I say, what I say. I sell it when I tell it with a C. Yeah, there we go. All right, so we got a Perry Noble update. Now, if you remember a few episodes back, it's maybe a week, maybe, I don't know. I did a Perry Noble update and uh, talked about what he talked about at the Elephant in the Room conference. And um, let me play for you um, that little exchange without without my pointing out all of the biblical mangling that he's done, because I've already pointed out how he totally twists these three passages of Scripture in order to justify the unjustifiable, and that is play, starting off a Christian Easter service at a Christian church with ACDC's Highway to Hell, okay? Anyway, uh, here's Perry Noble, first of all, in his exchange with James McDonald talking about this, and uh, and then I'll pause it and then switch gears, and I have audio of uh, Perry Noble actually telling us what where he came up with this idea. So here, here listen in. I want to go to this Highway to Hell thing, all right? Because I'm, I'm like so out on the fact that you did that, like out on that. I can't believe you did that. So awesome. Put me in that category. So I'm fired up about you, uh-huh. and I'm fired up about the passion that you have for the Lord and for the gospel and for God's word. Uh-huh. But so I'll just be the guy. I just, I just don't get it at all. And here's, here's what I don't get. Well, let, let me ask you this. Yeah. Me, okay. So when God tells Isaiah to strip naked in Isaiah 20, you would have probably gone, hey, Isaiah, I don't, I don't get this. Well, I think, first of all, anytime you try to make something that happened in Scripture normative, okay, so... No, I'm just saying it happened. It's in the Bible. We should have at least no, once I'm, a no, year, no. we should have someone strip naked. No, no, but it's... No, there's, there's instances. Second emotion. Yeah. Second emotion. There's, there's instances. What do you do in Acts chapter 17 when Paul quotes two secular, quote, rock songs yeah. when he's reaching the Athenians? There's what do you do in Matthew chapter 2 when God uses astrology? Yeah. to reach the wise men. I mean, how can we say that those methods were not effective? It's not one one prophet stripping down naked. It's all through the scriptures where God meets people where they are and brings them to where he is. Right. That's why right. we do what we do. Yeah, I think that God meeting somebody where they are isn't quite the same as taking something that is blatantly offensive to the gospel and the cross. Right and bringing it into the center of the church and believing that that's advancing the cause. Like at some point, we've got to give a little credit to God's spirit and to God's word and not be quite so dependent on our ability to sort of bridge this but little... What this- okay, now, what, listen to Perry Noble at this point. Okay, James McDonald has done a fine job of pointing out there's a problem here with this way of thinking. And now Perry Noble, unable to control himself, has got to chime in. What if, God's, what if God's spirit and God's word led us to actually do the illustration in the first place? So, okay, so now Perry Noble is basically, he's not saying or denying that God may have been the one who led him to do this in the first place in order to, as he's been pointing out, to reach people who are far from God, you know, with God, you know play highway to hell as a means of reaching people where they're at, and God's the one who told him to do this. Yeah, but when you uh, listen to his explanation from the um, uh, 2011 Unleash conference, Perry Noble um, uh, ex- explains why he did this thing and, 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 uh, and what God's role supposedly was in it. Here, l- listen in. Every once in a while, I have this thought we got to piss off the religious people. 
How are we going to do that? A few years ago, I was thinking about it because Easter was coming. You know, and we weren't going to do the ribbon dancers, Arise, my love. Arise, my love. Arise, my love. The grave no longer has a hold on you. That's going to be on freaking YouTube. Bye. So I'm praying one morning. I'm like, God, how are we going to start this thing out? I'm in my basement. I got my iPod. I'm lifting weights. The song by ACDC, Highway to Hell, comes on. I said, that'll do it. Yeah, the goal is to upset religious people. God helped him do it, apparently. Now, I know, I know you shouldn't listen to ACDC when you're working out, but I do, and it's awesome. A couple years ago, we started out Easter with Highway to Hell. It was awesome. The emails the next week, I came to church on Easter, had my hat on. My husband had his pastels. <laughs> I didn't want to hear about no highway to hell. So there you go. Um, the whole idea was, um, well, he was working out, listening to ACDC, trying to find a way to upset religious people. That was his goal. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't, Perry say in his exchange with James McDonald that it was all about reaching the lost? The way he tells the story at the Unleashed conference, it really wasn't about reaching the lost. It was about upsetting the found. And, to th and for him to think that God the Holy Spirit would assist him in helping to upset Christians to offend them, to cause them to be upset, that God the Holy Spirit is the one who led him to begin his church service with ACDC's Highway to Hell and for the whole purpose of upsetting religious people. You remember, that's what he said the goal was. Let me, let me play the quote again so that you can, you know, you can hear it. This is not me saying this. This is... Perry Noble. Every once in a while, I have this thought. We got to piss off the religious people. There it is. So the whole point of Highway to Hell wasn't really to reach the lost. It was to upset religious people. Perry Noble's own words. Is that what the job of a pastor is? Would God the Holy Spirit aid him in this endeavor? Hmm. Just makes you wonder. Would love to get your feedback on it, though. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so on my email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back.
When he asked Peter, Who do you say that I am? Jesus wasn't looking for affirmation. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> service. This is Josh. How can I help you today? Yes, I would like to return the Jesus I received from you. I heard there was a 60-day return policy. Yes, sir, there is. But can I ask you why you want to return Jesus? Well, I was told if I received Jesus, he'd fix all my problems. And quite honestly, I'm not satisfied with this Jesus. Sir, what is your Jesus doing right now? Nothing. He just sits there. Have you taken time to feed your Jesus? Well, I went to church for the preaching, but nothing has happened. Sir, if you read the fine print on the warranty, you'll see that you are responsible for feeding, not the church or the pastor. Oh. Well, can I exchange this Jesus for another? Sir, what kind of Jesus are you looking for? I need the Jesus that forgives sins. You know, changes your life on the inside, helps you overcome the sins of the flesh, never leaves me nor forsakes me, and will take me to heaven when I die. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. We don't stock that Jesus here. You'll have to go somewhere else to have that Jesus. Well, I guess I'll just stick with the one I got since I already opened the box. Wonderful, sir. Can I interest you in getting Jesus for your friends and family? Why would I do that? If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. That's what St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Christianity is unique in that it is based upon historical fact. None of the other religions are that in which if you could disprove one historical fact, the whole religion would crumble. But that's how it is with Christianity. If you can disprove that Christ did not raise from the dead, then there is no such thing as Christianity. That's a topic of a debate for a live Table Talk radio presentation. Did Jesus rise from the dead? The debaters is Dr. David Scare of Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and author of the book, What Do You Think About Jesus? versus Dr. Robert Price, fellow for the Jesus Seminar and author of the book, The Case Against the Case for Christ. This all takes place on Pirate Christian Radio, Sunday night, May 15th, from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And you can call in live to pose your questions to the debaters. Listen to Table Talk Radio Live, a debate, Did Jesus Rise from the Dead, on Pirate Christian Radio, May 15th, from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. 
Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Warning, anybody who uh, sets out as their goal to upset, upset, purposely upset Christians. Uh, Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Yeah, here's the deal. At times, it's important to challenge some of the false teachings and ideas that religious people or Christians hang on to. But that is never the end and goal in and of itself. This is important to keep in mind. Some of the things I say here at Fighting for the Faith are upsetting. But the purpose of saying those upsetting things is not just, the end is not shock. The, The end is to basically wake people up and then give them sound biblical doctrine to challenge their false teachings and false ideas and replace those ideas with what the Bible really teaches, sound biblical doctrine. Yeah, um, when you basically set out as a goal to upset religious people, and the way you're going to do it is by playing ACDC's Highway to Hell, I mean, the reality is is that that's going to offend uh religious people who are believing falsely as well as religion religious people who are believing the truth what's the error that's being addressed by that that's yeah that's the uh, problem is is that i mean i'm glad that james mcdonald said something there because you know at least he's got some kind of a personal rapport with uh, perry noble uh, <clears throat> perry noble couldn't just say well the reason why i didn't like this cuz he's just a religious person <sighs> anyway moving along from Relevant Magazine, 10 Ways to Make Earth Day Count. <laughs> this is the kind of thing that makes me crazy. This was written by Nancy Sleeth of uh, Relevant Magazine. It's in their um, missional features uh, section of their website. <clears throat> Here we go. Are you ready? Earth Day is during Easter week, so... Here's how Christians can make the day a little more holy. 
This year, Earth Day falls on Good Friday. The synchronicity of the death and resurrection of our Savior with our stewardship role in His Father's creation offers all manner of theological conversation starters. What I find most remarkable, however, is the shared message of hope. Just a few years ago, the, the question was, should Christians celebrate Earth Day? Now the question is, how can Christians take a leadership role? Oh, man. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, um, I won't be celebrating Earth Day tomorrow. Um, I've got something far more important to uh, to focus my mind on. And you know, listen, I I'm all for recycling. I I think it's a good idea. I I in fact, it, I mean, I've done plenty of recycling in my adult lifetime and have no problems with putting plastics. In a different bin than uh, than you know than banana peels. Don't have a problem with that at all. In fact, the nice thing is, is where we live, a lot of that is done for us by our trash company. Um, but the thing is, is that um, yeah, I, I just I have a problem with the worldview that goes along with Earth Day and uh, those people who really brought it, you know, to, you know, to created it. It's more about earth worship, and I don't worship the earth. The earth is a created thing, just like I am. And the earth was not created in the image of God. Human beings are created in the image of God. And yeah, I think it's important that we steward the earth. Oh, absolutely, we should take care of the earth. I remember the days when I was growing up in Los Angeles. Uh, not Actually, I, was, I grew up in uh, Arcadia in Monrovia, which is near Pasadena, California, and we had smog alerts. And I remember during the summer days in particular, I, I would be outside playing with my friends or swimming in the pool and stuff like that. And at the end of the day, my lungs would hurt. And I'm very thankful for uh, for the legislation and the changes in technology that made it possible to get rid of that, you know, for the most part, that big brown thing of smog that uh, hangs over the San Gabriel Valley Basin. i very thankful for that. But that all of that being said... Um, uh yeah, I don't need Earth Day to uh to do that and uh I am not very I don't want to hook up with or link arms with people who are worshiping Gaia. Um no, in fact, uh, the fact that Earth Day falls on Good Friday in my mind basically means I will not be celebrating Earth Day at all, even thinking about it and I won't be using it as conversation starters. <sighs> this is Yes. Anyway, uh, let me continue reading. Before we discuss practical actions, it's only fair to tell you where I'm coming from. I was raised a conser- in a conservative Jewish home, gave up religion when I married a secular humanist, nominally Protestant husband, and did not become a follower of Jesus until my early 40s. The, the conversion that my husband and I experienced was anything but lukewarm. At the time, Matthew was an ER physician and uh, chief of the hospital medical staff. We had a big house on the coast of Maine filled with beautiful things, two beautiful children. As we went about pursuing the American dream, some bad stuff happened to our family, as it does to all of us. Our search for a moral anchor led us to the Gospels. Jesus changed everything, the books we read, the music we listened to, the people we hung out with, even our vocations and where we lived. My husband was particularly concerned by the changes uh, in diseases he was seeing in the hospital, many of which were related to environmental degradation. Our family took Matthew 7 to heart to get the plank out of our own eye before worrying about the speck in our neighbors, how much we were part of the problem and how much we were part of the solution. After measuring our environmental footprint, we eventually cut back our energy use by more than two-thirds and our trash production by 
nine-tenths, we got rid of half of our possessions and moved to a house with the same footprint as our old garage. Yeah, I don't see anything in the Bible uh, that talks about environmental footprints, um, and I I refuse, refuse, refuse to be made to feel guilty about something as um, dubious as an environmental footprint. And so, yeah, see, here's the deal. I'm sorry, but mix, talking about environmental footprints and carbon and all that, you know, all that kind of stuff uh, on on Good Friday, as far as I'm concerned, yeah, sorry, I got more important things to focus on than carbon footprints. And by the way, I just uh, read an article today that um, there hasn't been this much snow in the Northern Hemisphere during wintertime since 1979. 1979. Which, by the way, I remember growing up in the 70s, uh, we were not being told about global warming. We were being told about global cooling. We were told about how the glaciers were going to grow and then how we weren't going to be able to produce food and stuff like that. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I don't feel any particular need to mix bad science regarding the environment and uh and Christ's crucifixion on the cross for our sins. Yeah, nope, I won't be um I promise you I will not spend even a moment worrying about my carbon footprint tomorrow. If anything, I might be trying to find ways to make it bigger because um after this winter in Indiana, I th- I think we need a little bit more carbon in in the uh, atmosphere making sure that we warm things up a little bit. That three-inch slab of ice that was on my uh, lawn for two weeks during the wintertime, that thing had it out for me. It wanted to kill me. And so I think a a little bit of global warming would probably do us a little bit of good. So, (sighs) yeah, so uh, join me in uh, not recognizing Earth Day this Good Friday. (laughs) Moving along. Albert Muller and his um, website, albertmuller.com, he's taken a crack at uh, Carl Guyberson and um, worth passing along to you. And um, the name of the article written by Dr. Muller is Throwing the Bible Under the Bus. Dr. Muller writes, he says, in his 1996 novel, In the Beauty of the Lilies, John Updike told of the Reverend Clarence Arthur Wilmot the fictional pastor of New York's Fourth Presbyterian Church, who stopped believing in God one day in 1910. On that, the Reverend Wilmot, quote, felt the last particles of his faith leave him, Updike wrote. Reverend Wilmot's crisis of faith was rooted in his loss of confidence in the Bible as the revealed word of God. The influence of liberal critics of the Bible had reached him even at seminary years before, and um, now he saw the scriptures as just another human book. In Updike's words, the scriptures were one more human volume, more curious and conglomerate than most, but the work of men or of Jews in dirty sheepskins, rotten-toothed desert tribesmen with eyes rolled heavenward, men like flies on flypaper caught fast in a historic time, among the myths and conceptions belonging to the childhood of mankind. Updike's brilliant and accurate depiction of the liberal approach to the Bible remains shocking. The higher critics, as the liberal scholars were then known, did indeed see the authors of the New Testament as rotten-toothed desert tribesmen who could not see beyond the myths and conceptions 
belonging to the childhood of mankind. While the Reverend Clarence Arthur Wilmot was fictional, but Dr. Carl Guyberson is not. Guyberson is not a pastor, but a professor at Eastern Nazarene College near Boston. He is also a scientist involved with the Biologos Foundation, a group committed to the defense and promotion of theistic evolution. Just recently, Professor Guyberson wrote an article published at CNN's Belief blog. In the article, Guyberson claims that Jesus would believe in evolution and that the rest of us should accept evolution as well. In the process of making his argument, Guyberson castigates those who hold to a literal interpretation of Genesis for forcing the biblical text to read as a modern account of origins. Instead, Guyberson asserts Genesis is a story that began as an oral tradition for a wandering tribe of Jews thousands of years ago. Sound familiar? Guyberson went on to argue, while Genesis contains wonderful insights into the relationship between God and the creation, it simply does not contain scientific ideas about the origin of the universe, the age of the earth, or the development of life. So according to Professor Guyberson, Genesis contains wonderful insights, but no authoritative revelation of how God made the universe. Evidently, he believes that the Bible is not making a claim to historical truth when it tells of the creation and function of Adam and Eve. We now know that the human race began millions of years ago in Africa, not thousands of years ago in the Middle East, as the story in Genesis suggests, Guyberson insists. In making his case, Guyberson uses the old argument that God has given humanity two books of revelation, the Bible and the created order. This is one of Guyberson's most frequently offered arguments. This is a theologically disastrous argument in, in his hands, for he allows modern naturalistic science to silence the Bible, God's written revelation. In another article published last year, Guyberson said, quote, I am happy to concede that science does indeed trump religious truth about the natural world. Later, he stated even more directly that, quote, science does indeed trump revealed truth about the world. In other words, he throws the Bible under the bus. In language hauntingly reminiscent of Reverend Clarence Arthur Wilmot, Professor Guyberson describes the human authors of the Old Testament as ancient and uncomprehending scribes. In his new book, The Language of Science and Faith, written with Francis S. Collins, readers will find this strange paragraph, quote, Biblical interpretation falls short without an understanding of biblical inspiration. Of course, as we do not suggest that the Bible is simply another book to be interpreted, but we do a great disservice to the concept and power of inspiration when we reduce it to mere factual accuracy, as though God's role were nothing more than a divine fact-checker preventing the biblical authors from making mistakes. A dead and lifeless text, like the phone book, can be factually accurate. The inspiration of the Bible is dynamic and emerges through engagement with readers. Holy smokes. By the way, that's just flat-out post-modernity. In fact, I'm going to pause here uh, reading uh, Dr. Moeller. This this statement, the inspiration of the Bible is dynamic and emerges through engagement with readers. Um, that's the same kind of irrational philosophy that was floating in the water at the time of um, the fascists in the early 20th century in Europe. The, the factual truth there, that is, 
that is fascism. Wow. Okay, moving along. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, that paragraph, this is Dr. Mueller now, that paragraph is quite simply one of the most ridiculous statements concerning the Bible one might ever imagine. Who has ever argued that the divine inspiration of the Bible is reduced to mere factual accuracy? Guyberson's dismissive language about God as nothing more than a divine fact checker is sheer nonsense. Who has ever made such a proposal? Nobody. Uh, the conclusion of the paragraph is an embarrassing non sequitur. It is patently untrue that only a dead and lifeless text like a phone book can be factually accurate. Guyberson and Collins reveal their true understanding of biblical inspiration when they locate it not in the authorship of the text at all, but in the modern act of reading the text. Yep. As they make their argument for theistic evolution, Guyberson and Collins embrace a form of open theism and argue quite consistently with arguments common to biologos against the historicity of Adam and Eve. They end the book with their own version of the grand narrative of creation. This is their climactic conclusion of the narrative. Quote, Eventually, the most advanced of the life forms on the planet, human beings, become deeply religious. Throughout the history of our species, belief in God or gods has been close to universal. Abstractions like right and wrong, the meaning of life and where everything came from, have become critically important questions. The religious impulse developed into one of the deepest aspects of our complicated understandings of ourselves. They conclude, quote, and God saw that it was good. Here is their own rendering of what it looks like when the book of nature trumps the Bible. Just compare their grand narrative of creation with Genesis. Then again, Carl Guyberson believes that the human authors of Genesis were ancient and un uncomprehending scribes, and that Genesis began as an oral tradition for wandering tribes of Jews thousands of years ago. That sounds strangely like John Updike's description of Jews and dirty sheepskins, rotten-toothed desert tribesmen caught in myths and conceptions belonging to the childhood of mankind. This is what is left when the Bible is thrown under the bus. Amen. All right, I'm going to take an early second break so that we can get into our longer sermon review today. I apologize for the length of it, but uh, it's important that uh, I do this right. Um, so if you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. You can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough. Of this sissy, frenzy, turning photo written music, you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Almighty, 
Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Hour number two, fighting for the faith sermon review time. It's our last bad sermon for the week. I will not be doing a bad sermon review tomorrow. Can't do it on Good Friday. It sounds like a sacrilege to me. Speaking of sacrilege, (laughs) wait till you hear this thing. All right, here we go. The good, the bad, the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via the crossing in Elk River, Minnesota. Pastor Eric Dykstra presiding. This is another one of those guys who bought into this idea that we've got to make the uh, the gospel appealing to non-believers by, tell- by showing them how relevant we are. So the name of the sermon is The Way of the Samurai. That's right, The Way of the Samurai. This is, I think, the third sermon in the series, and it's entitled Focus. Focus, Daniel-san. Focus. Catch fly with chopstick. Anyway, the one thing you're going to find out about this sermon is, is that uh, well, Pastor Dykstra isn't practicing what he preaches. You'll get what I'm saying as we get into this thing. In fact, let's just kill the music and go right to it. Although I like this. All right, enough. All right, so without any further ado, here is Eric Dykstra, The Code of the Samurai, Week 3, entitled Focus. Uh, here we go. Yeah, that's samurai music that you're listening to. He's got guys on stage fighting with samurai swords. Because that'll draw a crowd. It'll get those non-Christians in, you know, those pagans, those seekers. They're, yeah, they just love the code of the samurai. That'll get them to church.
Welcome to the third week of our Code of the Samurai series, man. I got I to gotta do a special shout out to, to Zimmerman and Big Lake and Princeton. Guys, thank you so much for watching this on camera up there. What's up, guys? Um, I just got to say this. Is that means they're multi-site. The fact that there are people in Zimmerman and Big Lake and Princeton that you're, that you're worshiping Jesus up there, that you're bringing your friends to know who Christ is up there, is a really big deal to me. And I just wanted to tell you how much I appreciate all three of those campuses and their pastors. God bless you guys. Can we give them a big round of applause? That's good stuff. Anyway, welcome to the third week of our go to the Samurai series, man. We, we are talking tonight. Uh, the, 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 the what? The hapa-japa-ja? Okay. Audacious focus. Okay, now this sermon, as he's just, I interrupted him, but as he's just said, it's all about audacious focus. And uh, like I said, uh, the one thing that's going to be evident as this sermon unfolds is is that uh, Pastor Dykstra, Dykstra doesn't practice what he preaches. Apparently, you know, you know, he's going to tell us the importance of audacious focus, and he's going to tell us that it's important that we have that audacious focus on Jesus. Um, but this um, sermon doesn't audaciously focus on Jesus, as you'll find out. We are talking about audacious focus. See, samurai are known for their for their incredible focus, man. Samurai are known to just like, seriously, there are legends about samurai being buried alive. Yeah, by the way, uh, one of the things I pointed out yesterday uh, during uh, our Mark Deaver sermon that we played on, you know, from his sermon series entitled Pierced for Our Transgressions, uh, Mark Deaver seems like one who reverently and properly handles the scriptures, and boy, did Mark Deaver focus us in on Jesus Christ and him crucified for our sins. It was masterfully done. If you still have that sermon ringing in your ears from yesterday's edition of Fighting for the Faith, good. This serves as a perfect juxtaposition uh, to, uh, you know, Mark Deaver represents what pastors are really truly called to do. This guy, on the other hand, uh, is, well, a cheap $3 bill plastic banana imposter. He's, he's playing a pastor, but he's not really a pastor. He's more along the lines of a snake oil salesman or a traveling uh, one-man band or you know some kind of thing like that. But this isn't pastoring that we're hearing taking place here. Focus. See, samurai are known for their... For their incredible focus, man. Samurai are known to just like, seriously, there are legends about samurai being buried alive and being under the, under the ground for up to an hour. And then somebody has uncovered them and they have, they have so focused their breathing they have survived. I mean, I don't know if it's true or not. It's just a cool, cool legend. I don't know if it's true or not. But I just thought, well, so I look at this focus Sam right here. I thought, you know what? We should see if this guy's actually focused or not. I have been waiting this whole series for this thing right here. So we're just going to. We're just gonna see what. Let's see. Let's see how focused he actually. That's pretty good, isn't it? He deserves. A... We'll, try, we'll try one more time. See if he said. That's a... he deserves another round of applause. That's pretty impressive. That's amazing. That is audacious off-the-hook focus, which is what I'm talking to you tonight about. But you got to know something. This is also who Jesus was. He was audaciously focused like a samurai. If you don't believe me, I would give you this verse right here. This is Luke chapter 9. Okay, I'm going to point something out here. Uh, you're going to hear 
something that reminds you of the gospel. Okay, now it's one thing to mention the gospel in passing. It's another thing to preach it. Okay, and that's kind of an important distinction. So you're going to hear Eric Dykstra mention something to do with Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and things like that. But that's more more or less kind of the object lesson. Because remember, this is all about audacious focus, which, by the way, he's not practicing what he's preaching while he's preaching about audacious focus. It's rather ironic, but uh, let's continue. For Jesus to return to heaven. Or is he about ready to get his butt kicked and get killed, put on a cross, and end up in a grave? He's about ready to go to the grave. Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And we do. Key it on that word resolutely. Put that back up there. Key it on the word resolutely just for a second, man. Resolutely means this. I know I'm about ready to go get my butt kicked. I'm about ready to go get killed, but I don't care. This is what God's called me to do. I'm going to go do this because I'm going to save the world. He didn't let distractions get him off course. He didn't let people talk him out of it. He actually called one of his friends Satan who tried to talk him out of it. He said, you're the devil. Get behind me. He was resolutely, insanely, audaciously focused on one thing, making sure you didn't spend eternity in hell. Audacious, radical, insane focus, which is why we're still talking about him 2,000 years later. Because he was focused. Audacious focus will help you accomplish more than you being what? Distracted by everything. Uh, Okay, wait a second. You you said that Jesus was audaciously focused, set on going to Jerusalem to die for our sins. And so that's supposed to be an object lesson of what we're supposed to do now, be audaciously focused on something. So Jesus in his resolute focus on uh, saving sinners is an example for you to follow. You need to be audaciously focused just like Jesus was. Isn't that kind of missing the whole point? Because isn't the good news of about what Jesus actually did for me on the cross, suffered and bled for my sins? And so now I'm supposed to be reading the uh, the Gospels and going, oh, wow, look at the focus Jesus had. I wonder if that means I'm supposed to have the same kind of focus for my life. Um, yeah, the issue is, is that we're supposed to be, quote, audaciously focused on Christ. I'll, I'll point out some uh, a passage for you in a minute here from the book of Acts talking about what the early church was audaciously focused on. But uh, we'll get to that in just a minute. Christ calls us to an audaciously focused life. If you don't believe me, this is what Christians are actually called to. I'll give you a second verse. Colossians 3 verse 2 says this, set your mind on things above or not on earthly things. In other words, I should always live every moment with eternity in mind. Great. Um, Maybe that means you should probably be reading entire large sections of the gospel and preaching them. If we're supposed to have our mind set on things above, the Bible talks about really what all of that is and what that means to have our mind set on things above. So don't you think you ought to be doing more than just cherry picking a couple of verses, ripping them out of context and telling us the importance of focus? If focus on heavenly things is so important, then why aren't you seriously and soberly and reverently opening up the Bible, sir, from your pulpit and reading and teaching large sections of the scriptures? It says this, set your mind on things above or not on earthly things. In other words, I should always live every moment with eternity in mind. 
You should live every second, every step, every moment of your life with eternity in mind. I am audaciously focused, not on this life, because it's 75 years. I told you that last year. Then you're going to kick the bucket and die. This is, this, is, this is the dress rehearsal. The main event comes next, and it's really, really long. It's kind of forever. So your goal in life is to be audaciously focused, not just on the here and now, but on the ever after. Why? Great, uh, since I don't know what the ever after is about just intuitively, and since all of that is revealed in God's word, don't you think you should be focusing audaciously on all of that stuff that's taught in the Bible regarding the things we can't see? Hmm? By the way, uh, <clears throat> talking about audacious focus, uh, Acts chapter 2, after uh, uh, the Apostle Peter's great Pentecost sermon where you know thousands... Uh, uh, were repentant and believed in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and were baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. Yeah, read the text. That's what it actually says. In fact, I'll, I'll back it up. I'll back this up. Uh, th- I'll read the tail end of this sermon for you and then f- show you what the early church was audaciously focused on. <clears throat> now, uh, this is the tail end of Peter's sermon. Uh, now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Verse 37, Acts chapter 2. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the promise is for you, and it's for your children too. And for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day 3,000 souls. And here's the, here's the audacious focus verse. Ready? <clears throat> verse 42, Acts chapter 2. And they, that would be all of these converts and these new Christians, and they devoted themselves. You could say, and the early church was audaciously focused on the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and the breaking of bread and the prayers. Yeah, so Acts chapter 2, verse 42 tells us what the church was audaciously focused on. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and the prayers. Uh, By the way, um, when you read the apostles' teaching, by the way, there's only one place you can go now. Only one place, period. There is only one source for the teaching of the apostles, and it's found in the New Testament. And, you know, so you're going to find it specifically in the Gospels, and also you're going to find it in the epistles written by the apostles. So if you want to, if you want to be like the early church, yeah, if you want to be like the early Christians, um, just like in the book of Acts, uh, it, you don't need to speak in tongues. No, 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 no. You're, you're not focusing on the right thing. The gift of tongues was given so that people would hear the wonders of God in their own language. Uh, read Acts chapter 2 again if you're not convinced. But um, if you, if you, if you, you know, all these people talking about the importance of going back to the early church, well, okay, yeah, all right, you want to go back to the early church, devote yourself then, you and your congregation, to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, a.k.a. the Lord's Supper, and to the prayers. Yeah. And by the way, just ripping a couple of verses out of context 
to make you feel better about your life so that you can be more successful in your life, that does not even remotely come close to rising to the level of audaciously being focused on the apostles' teaching. If you want to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, be audaciously focused on the apostles' teaching, all the apostles in their their works, the gospels and everything like that, they were audaciously focused on telling the story of Jesus. That's who they were audaciously focused on. So when you read the apostles' teaching, you're reading all about Jesus and what he's done for you. So don't tell me that you're audaciously focused on Jesus when you're only talking about yourself or you're just sprinkling a couple of verses on your self-help pep talk. That's not being audaciously focused on Jesus. That's a scam. That is an absolute snow job. That's a con job. That's being distracted by bright, shiny objects or being distracted by yourself. If you're really truly claiming that you're being audaciously focused on Jesus, then what I expect to see from you, Pastor, is that you have reverently opened up the Scriptures and you're teaching through it. Large tracts of the Scriptures, fully devoted to teaching the full counsel of the Word of God, and even more specifically, focusing in on the apostles' teaching. That's what the early church did. Are you somehow exempt from that? What? We're so easily distracted. Easily. I'll give you a secondary verse on this. This is, uh, this is Jesus talking in the book of Matthew. He says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't get all distracted by treasure on earth where moth and rust are going to destroy it and where thieves are going to break in and steal it anyway. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Or my focus all the time, if you are Christian, you're not all caught up in the stupid stuff of the now and now. You're living for more than that. You're looking living for eternity. By the way, in First Peter, you're called aliens and strangers in this world. You care more about the what's coming next life than you do about this life. To be audaciously, insanely, focused like a samurai. Like Christ was actually focused. And here's what I would like to do this weekend. I would like to teach you to get audaciously focused so your life would count for something instead of counting for something stupid. Because as soon as you're all, what? Distracted. You stop accomplishing anything great with your life. Does this make sense? So can I talk to you? As soon as you're distracted, you stop accomplishing something great with your life? That's not the gospel. Go and accomplish something great in your life by being audaciously focused. That's all about you. The gospel is all about what Christ did for you. He was audaciously focused for you. He set his face like flint toward the cross for you. Oh boy. So can I talk to you tonight about how you begin to become audaciously focused with your life? Good. Get a Bible. I want you to go to page 733 on all of our campuses. You get a Bible out, go to page 733. You're going to go to Hebrews chapter 12 this weekend. You're going to go to Hebrews chapter 12. It's page 733. I'd really like for you to look that passage up. We'd like you to be there. We're going to, I'm going to be in this passage the whole night and actually all weekend in all the campuses. So here's what we're going to do. In honor of reading scripture, we do this every so often at our church. I'm just going to invite you to stand up. Just go ahead and stand up. On all of our- Here we go. Stand up. What are we standing up for? How many verses ripped out of context are we standing for here? 
our samurai stand up. He can like, dude, well done. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to let him, well done, man. I, I'm going to let him, he, he, he can kind of bail. And we're going to read an audacious focus passage. We're going to read Hebrews chapter 12. We're just going to read two verses. You're going to stand for two verses. I thought you said this is all about audacious focus. How can you say you're audaciously focused on Jesus when you're having people stand up so that they can hear two verses? By the way, the passage that you're quoting, you're going to be misquoting and ripping out of context, sir. I'm going to show you from the text itself in context how you are not audaciously focused on Christ because this passage that you're going to talk about is audaciously focused on Christ and him crucified for our sins. But you're going to leave out all of that. Let's uh, see what you do. They're long verses, but we're going to read them. Hebrews chapter 12 says this. Therefore, since a lot of people are watching you or you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Completely missed Hebrews chapter 11. Chapter 12 says this. Therefore, since a lot of people are watching you or you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. In the life of faith, let us strip off. You should strip. You should strip. Why? You should strip off every weight that slows you down, especially the sin that so easily trips you up. If you don't strip, you're going to trip. That's what I just said. If you don't strip, you're going to trip. And let us run with endurance the race that God set before us. God's got a race for you to run. We do this by keeping our eyes not on a pastor or on a church or on our future or on my plan for my life, but on who? On Jesus. It's always only about Jesus. Great. Then why don't you tell me more about Jesus? If if it's all, I mean, the passage that you said is all about Jesus. Why don't you tell me more about him? The passage that you're going to stop reading continues on to tell me more about Jesus. It's going to tell me a lot more about Jesus than you are in the rest of the whole sermon. He was like, "Woo! I'm going to the cross. There was joy involved in this, in the sacrifice. That's crazy stuff, man. There's, yes, I get to die for the sins of the world. There's joy going on here. And uh, why don't you uh, quote for me uh, from the passages in the gospel to talk about Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night that he was betrayed and how he sweat drops of blood. And he prayed, Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours. I mean, here you're describing Jesus like he's some kind of reckless renegade. Yet the text clearly tell us that Jesus suffered. And part of the suffering was knowing what he was going to be going through. He disregarded his shame, and now he's seated in the place of honor. Beside God's throne. Notice, he ends up in honor because of an audacious focus and an audacious sacrifice. Oh, so if uh, you're audaciously focused, you'll be honored too, huh? Yeah, that's why Jesus did it. God's throne. Notice, he ends up in honor because of an audacious focus and an audacious sacrifice. This weekend, I would like to send you to a place of honor. I would like to send your life to someplace honorable. I'd like to see greater and greater things occur in your life. And it's found within the context of this passage. No, it's not. I'm going to walk through it, and then I'm hoping you'll live it out, church. 
Now I'm going to continue, I'm going <clears> to <throat> read this from a good translation. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. In fact, I'm going to back it up just a smidge. Catch the tail end of uh, chapter 11 and then work through parts of 12. Context, context, context. In fact, I'll start at Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things that are not seen. For by faith the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gift. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, that's saving trust in Christ, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, warned, uh, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. I'm going to scroll down now a little bit. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, they were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been circled for seven days. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell you of Gideon and Barak, Samson, Japheth, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword and were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth, And all these, though commended through their faith, they did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all the people mentioned there, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run 
with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Continuing, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. Yeah, when you put that um, passage back into context, it's really all about Jesus and a focus on him, the author and perfecter of our faith. But just merely mentioning him in passing is not the same thing as focusing on him. We continue. Focused than regular people, man. Christians are people of focus, not people who waste their lives on stupid stuff. I pray that we'd live up to our audacious. We focus on Christ, not just any old stuff. Audacious calling like our audacious Savior did. Make us like him. In Jesus' name we pray, everybody said, amen. You may be seated. You ever fallen asleep in class? Maybe you're already asleep in church. Like, can I just see your hands? If you've ever fallen asleep in class or a church service before, come on, come on, put them up. Be honest, all the campuses. Like, if you ever fallen asleep in class, there was this one time in college a few years ago, uh, just a few years ago when I was back in college. You know, um, I, I'm I'm really young still. My wife's laughing at me. <laughs> okay, so a couple years ago I had this class. And it was at 6.30 in the morning by a professor who was in his 80s. He should have retired a long time ago. There was seven of us who took the course. And he would stand. He couldn't stand up very well anymore because he already had his hip replacement. And so he'd stand behind the, the little lectern podium thing. And he would hold on to it for the whole hour and a half of the class from 6.30 until 8 o'clock in the morning. And he would just read off of the piece of paper. Think about that. I'm a, I'm a college kid. I'm 19. I haven't slept all night. And they want me to sit through a class with an old guy at 6.30 in the morning? I was out cold. I don't have any idea what the dude said ever. I didn't take any notes. I would go into class. If I made it to class at all, I'd sit there and I'd be like, and I'd go out fast. Well, there was this one time I'm sleeping, and everything's cool, and I can hear him kind of droning on in the background. You know, you kind of, as long as everything stays the same, as long as the pastor up front just keeps droning, I can sleep. But he stopped droning. And so I, I kind of woke up, and I looked up, and I'm not making this up. This poor man was asleep behind his lectern. <laughs> he was holding on to the lectern going, and he's kind of swaying a little bit. He's like 80-some years old. I'm like, what am I going to do? So then I look at the rest of the room. There's only seven guys in this class. All seven of them are asleep too. There was nobody awake in the room but me. I, you, this only happens to me. And I'm going, there's nobody awake. So, so I'm like, what are we going to do? And then what's really funny is there was one of the dude in one of the other chairs. He was asleep and he kind of had his head up against the wall. And he was snoring and he had drool running out of the corner of his mouth. It made a little puddle on the desk. And then it had run off the edge of the desk, hit the uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, it sounds like this sermon isn't audaciously focusing on Jesus, is it? And he's snoring, and he had drool running out of the corner of his mouth. It made a little puddle on the desk, and then it had run off the edge of the desk, hit the wall, and then had a secondary puddle on the floor, and there was a string hanging all the way down to the other puddle. 
we're talking to somebody who is out cold. I mean, I mean, he's gone. And so finally, I'm like, what am I going to do? So I wake up the dude next to me, the one that's not drooling all over the place. I'm like, dude, what should we do with the professor? He's like, I don't know. Don't wake him up. He might fall over and die. <laughs> so we just kind of sat there. And we waited for about five minutes. And all of a sudden, he just went... And he just went right back to reading his notes like nothing happened. <laughs> Funniest thing ever. Eric, why are you telling me the story? Because I think it's a beautiful picture how people view God in the church. People assume many times that God's an old guy in the sky hanging up behind a lectern going, he doesn't have anything decent to say. He's just a boring old dude. And he's just rambling on, and he doesn't really care. He's just kind of there because he's supposed to be, because he's God and stuff. And everybody just kind of tunes him out and goes to sleep. We are all all basically ignoring him because there's so much cooler stuff than the old dude in the sky. You know what I'm saying? Look at all the cool stuff we could be about. He's boring and old. Why pay any attention to him? And because of this, you miss out on a good life. Uh, so I miss out on a good life because I think God is boring and old. Um, really, that's really what the biblical message is? I thought the biblical message is that we sinned and rebelled against God and are now subject to his wrath and the whole creation is cursed and uh, groaning under travail because of our sinfulness and that Christ died for our sins, rose again from the grave on the third day, and calls all humanity to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins. Um, The message you're preaching doesn't sound anything like, well, what the Bible says. And maybe maybe the difficulty is, is that it's really hard for you to figure out what the Bible actually says just reading it one or two verses out of context at a time. I think that's the problem. You don't when you when you read the Bible the way you're preaching it. There's no way for you to actually figure out what the real story is. Cool stuff we could be about. He's boring and old. Why pay any attention to him? And because of this, you miss out on a good life. See, the truth is, God's not an old guy in the sky. That's a lie that you've been taught someplace. God is the most vibrant, most audacious being in the universe. Look at your world. Look how it's created. Your world is off the hook amazing. God did that. Your God is vibrant. Uh, Yeah, you're pointing us to the book of nature. Um, Can you actually point us to the Bible and what it reveals about God there? And when you decide to lose your focus, you miss out on an audacious life. Oh, no. If I don't have an audacious life, will I go to hell? That's the truth. Our worship leader read this verse at the beginning of the, of the service, and we also read this verse the last two weeks in church. I'm going to read it to you again. It just says this, John chapter 14, verse 12. I tell you the truth. Jesus talking. Anyone who has faith in me is going to do what I am doing. He will do even greater things than these. You can do greater and greater and greater things with your life, but the key is you've got to be audaciously focused. You can't lose um, the uh, passage that you read out of context there from the Gospel of John says the one who believes in me. It doesn't say the one who is audaciously focused on achieving great things or changing the world. It says the one who believes in me. Talk about not being focused. I mean, you're not even capable of figuring out what a single verse means even after you've ripped it out of context. I, I struggle with this focus thing. Do you, you know what my shirt says? Yeah, I can tell you struggle with it because you're not focusing us on Jesus. You're focusing us on ourselves and you and you 
and all the while telling us how important it is to have an audacious focus on Jesus. This is absurd. It says, uh, I don't have ADD. It's just that, uh, oh, look, a squirrel. <laughs> this is my life, man. I struggle with focus. Uh, seriously, we did some Q&A sessions this week for our church, and some people came, and every Q&A session I lost my train of thought. I was like, what was I talking Okay, now back in the time when uh, I was growing up and the church actually actually preached sin and repentance and you know things like that, <clears throat> this church I go to does that too, but um, you know when people would talk about sin, they would talk about real sins. And so, I, I don't know, is this some kind of a testimony time here that we're getting from uh, Pastor Dykstra? Because, you know, he's sitting here chastising everybody, telling him how important it is to have audacious focus, and, well, he just confessed that he's ADD in the way he thinks and feels and that he struggles with focus. So is this the, the equivalent of a, a confession of his shortcomings and his sinfulness? Did Jesus die on the cross for his lack of audacious focus? Oh. Because I can't focus. I have such bad ADD. The reason why we don't let little babies in the rooms at our, our services, because I totally like, will like focus on, oh, look at the cool little baby. I will totally lose the whole service. You know, it makes me wonder. Um, you know, I, I know some people who, uh, who, well, they wanted to be private pilots. And so they, they wanted to get a private pilot's license. And uh, both of these people uh, suffer from ADD. And as a result of having ADD, they were not permitted to uh, get their private pilot's license. It makes me wonder if uh, we shouldn't do the same thing for pastors. I mean, if uh, you know, here he's telling us how important it is to have audacious focus, and uh, he's confessing that he has ADD and he can't focus audaciously. Maybe he should be disqualified from serving in the ministry then. I, when my wife's trying to talk to me, I just don't want to make this up. When my wife has to talk to me, many times she'll grab my face and she'll push my face over in front of her. So I'm looking right in the eyes. Eric, I'm trying to talk. Oh, there you are. <laughs> and she'll have to grab. I struggle with focus. So I get the fact, if you do too, we struggle with ADD in our culture, man. We struggle with being able to focus on what matters most. But here's what's really cool. In this passage, the passage that I had you just read, God very clearly sets out how you can begin to get some focus with your life so you can move on to greater and greater things. This passage is the passage that really rocked my world, despite the fact, and by the way, I think ADD is an excuse to do nothing with your life. Straight up, ADD, ADHD, that's an excuse to waste your life and be stupid. When the truth is, you can accomplish whatever you set your mind to and decide to audaciously focus on. And this passage is going to teach you to go past the excuses and begin to live a life that's going to get you greater and greater things. Mm, so apparently the Christian life is all about you focusing so that you can get greater and greater things. Hmm. Doesn't sound like biblical Christianity to me. Begin to live a life that's going to get you greater and greater things. I just want you to say with me, God has greater things in store for me. Come on, say it. On all of our campuses, I want you to uh, What Bible verse says that? I want you to say, God has greater things in store for me. Come on, say it again. He does, but you have to get the four aspects of how that works from this passage. Can I show them to you? Oh, really? What Bible passage says that, there's, that God has greater things for me, and there's four aspects that I have to first grasp before God will let me know how to get those greater things? First thing you can say from this passage is you've got to know God's mission for your life. 
You got to know God's mission for your life. Do you know God's mission for your life? Uh, yeah, I do know God's mission for my, my my life. My mission is to expose and refute and rebuke false teachers within the church like you. He's got one. Moses had a mission. Hey, go free Egypt or free the people from Egypt. You know what I'm saying? David had a mission. Go kill a giant. But I'm just a dude. I'm a little dude. Go kill a giant. Okay. He had a mission. Jesus had a Doesn't sound anything like the story of David. Mission. He was going to die for your sins. Do you know God's got a specific design for your life? You don't have to... Notice how you use the gospel. Jesus had a mission. He had a mission to come die for your sins. And that means that you have a mission too. (sighs) Yeah, my job is to repent and be forgiven. Wing it. He's got a mission for your life. He didn't put you on earth just to breathe air. He's got a job for you to accomplish. He does. Look at the verse. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says this, in the middle part of the verse, it says, let us run with endurance the race God set out in front of us. God's got a special race he designed just for you. Before the world was created, he thought about your life and your life and yours and all of you at the other campuses and thought, dude, I have a special design and wiring for you. I want you to do this with your life. Uh, This passage doesn't say that. About your life and your life and yours and all of you at the other campuses and thought, dude, I have a special design and wiring for you. I want you to do this with your life. And it's not going to be sucky. It's going to be awesome. But you've got to focus on that. Do you know God's mission for your life? Do you know it? Most people don't know their mission, which is why they never accomplish anything great. I say ML King knew his mission, which is why. I... Yeah, so apparently, uh, you know, you can ac- accomplish something great. If you just take the time to uh, figure out what God's mission is for your life. To accomplish something awesome for our country. What is your audacious mission? God has one set up for you. If you don't know what it is, I I would ask you to ask this question. See if this will help. Okay, this question, put it on the screens. What would you be willing to do for God if you knew you couldn't fail? Come on, think it through. What would you be willing to do, not for you, because then you're just focused on you and you're dumb. There's only one guy that's not dumb. His name is Jesus, and you're not him. What would you be willing to do, not for you, but for God, that if you knew you couldn't fail, man, I'd be on it. I would do it. I would be all about it. I would be. Why don't you tell us about the mission that Jesus accomplished and how he didn't fail, where Adam did? And here's what I need to tell you next. If you don't do it, you're a coward. So if you if you don't do the thing that God's made you to do, you're a coward. Yeah, now he's just chewing people out. Pack your bags. We're going on a guilt trip. If you don't do it, you're just a coward. You're living in fear, and you're going to end up a failure. Why do you, why are you so afraid of failure? What when you're afraid of failure, you actually run to failure. When you decide to be like, dude, I'm going to do this or die. Tr-. Notice he's not audaciously focusing us on Jesus. Just want to point that out. You next. If you don't do it, you're a coward. If you don't do it, you're just a coward. You're living in fear, and you're going to end up a failure. Why do you? Why are you so afraid of failure? What? When you're afraid of failure, you actually run to failure. When you decide to be like, dude, I'm going to do this or die trying, you accomplish greatness. When you decide to get audacious, see, if you ask me that question, people have asked me that over the years. Eric, if you were going to do one thing with your life and you knew you couldn't fail, what would it be? Oh, it would be start a church. 
If you start a church, man, I, I, I have got to start a church. We are going to deep. He's audaciously focusing us on him. Oh, that you need to do, but you're so freaked out and fearful, you're never going to accomplish anything. You don't have to live that kind of life. That's not what God called you to. He called you to something audacious. Stop living as a coward and run the race God set up in front of you. See, guys, I know my race. I'm very clear on my race. My race and the race for this church, and by the way, if you're a part of this church, then you've got a race to run. Because the church isn't just me, it's all of us together. And on our race, I'll just define our race a little bit further for you, man. This is the race that we're running as a church. First of all, God calls us to be a church for people who don't do church. You know what that means? A church that doesn't do church isn't a church. Otherwise, you wouldn't say that you're a church. That's ridiculous. I, I, I mean, that's like saying I'm going to create a baseball team that doesn't do baseball. Well, if it doesn't do baseball, then it's not a baseball team. Or I'm going to create a football team that doesn't play football. Or I'm going to, I, I'm going to make an army that doesn't, you know, actually fight any wars. <laughs> this is just ridiculous. We're running as a church. First of all, God calls us to be a church for people who don't do church. You know what that means? We're not really interested in seeing Christians come join our church. I'm not really interested. Why, why would I want Christians who are already going to church come to our church? I'm wasting my time. I want to help people who are far from God, broken, messed up, screwed up. And I'm like, dude, I just need some help. I need some hope. I need to know God cares about me. That's why our church exists. Um, actually, you don't get out of the Great Commission, sir. Um, yeah, see, here's the deal. Jesus doesn't give any waivers when it comes to the Great Commission. Great Commission, and it begins with that wonderful statement, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I have commanded you. That would be basically be the entire word of God, um, the only place where we can find any of the things that Jesus has commanded and taught, because, well, that's the only place that they are. And, oh, Jesus is the God of the Old Testament, so that includes the Old Testament. So uh, last time I checked, um, God doesn't give out any waivers and say, okay, um, uh, let's see, Crossing Point Church, uh, Crossing Church over there in uh, Minnesota, I'm going to exempt you from the whole uh, make disciples thing, and you don't have to actually teach everybody everything that I've ever taught, but uh, you Lutherans over there, you better stick to it. You know, it, it doesn't work that way. And so to sit here and say that God told you to do a church that doesn't do church, doesn't make any sense, or you you want a church where uh, you know you don't want to feed God's sheep who are Christians. This is just and it's it's blasphemous and patently absurd. I do church for church people. I do church for people who don't know who Christ is yet, and then together we walk side by side to help more people. By the way, that's your calling, Christian. Um, if they don't know who Christ is yet, they're not Christians, and they're not part of the church. It's not to be about you and sit your butt in a seat. It's your, it's your job to be Jesus to a lost and dying world. We do church for people who don't do church. Yeah, obviously this is the kind of, this is the kind of guy who's come under the influence of men like uh, Perry Noble, Stephen Furtick, Mark Beeson, uh, Rick Warren, guys like that. The, this, this isn't what the Bible teaches at all. And they say these things so arrogantly and so confidently as if this is what the Bible teaches, and it doesn't teach anything of the sort. This is not what God has commanded his church to do. 
I'll give you a secondary part of, of, of our vision. God's called us to grow each week until we're a church of 20,000. Who'd you bring this week? Because it's not your job to just come to church. It's your job to bring somebody. I want to point out again, he's not audaciously focusing us on Jesus, is he? To grow each week until we're a church of 20,000. Who'd you bring this week? Because it's not your job to just come to church. It's your job to bring somebody else with you. If you brought somebody else with you, good for you. You're not like, a, by the way, if, you, if you're a guest here this weekend, your first time at this church, can I just tell you, the person sitting next to you is not a trophy. Like, it's not like we're like, oh, look, we brought somebody. I'm like, I got, I got, I got a, bad, a badge of honor. Look, give me a sticker. <laughs> That's not the truth at all. At the same time, you have to know something. That we are going to grow together. This is the smallest this church is ever going to be. The point of church is to grow until we have everybody coming here and nobody going to hell. Yeah, if you're really concerned about making sure that nobody goes to hell, then why aren't you preaching Christ and him crucified for our sins and telling people about their sins, their sinful condition, and how Jesus bled and died for the forgiveness of their sins? You'd mentioned it in passing, but you're not actually preaching on it. And you're not audaciously focusing us on Jesus. You're arrogantly focusing us on yourself. That's why we exist. That's our mission. Who'd you bring this week? By the way, you know what's really kind of fun, too? I, I love to say this. I would rather offend a Christian to reach somebody who's far from God than, than like, being good gracious with a Christian. I don't care about the Christian people, man. Straight up, man. Christian people are freaks. They get all worked up by the craziest of stuff. They get all, like, freaked out. Now we're going to call our congressman. So now he's putting down Christians. Isn't he supposed to be one? How about you just love people like Jesus? I don't know. When did Christians lose their focus and become all about the politics rather than about people, which is what Jesus was about. He just loved people. This is what we're called to, Christian. This is what our church is about. You want to join me in this mission? Cool, you can stay. You can walk side by side with me. You can help us change the world. That's why we exist. One life at a time. I'll give you a third thing. God called us to build a building in Elk River large enough to seat 1,500 adults and 500 kids per service so that we can reach more people who are far from God. Every number's a life. Every seat's going to have a story. And so we're going to build a building large enough at this location to see 2,000 people per service. It's going to happen. Year from now, it's going to be done. October, it starts. Following October, it's finished. 1,500 chairs for 1,500 more stories. And then uh, 3,000 more stories. And then 4,500 more stories. And then eventually 9, 10, 11, 12, 15,000 stories of people who are far from God walking into eternity with heaven. That's why we exist. That's what we're about. And for all the campuses out there, like watching, uh, I would give you this one too. God's called us to attain permanent space for Zimmerman and Princeton so that we can be more effective in helping people know that God cares about them and their community too. You know the guys of the Princeton community? People don't drive down from Princeton to come to church here. It's too far. Well, you invite them. Like, oh, you should come to my church in Elk River. They're like, whatever, Elk River's way too far. Again, I would like to remind you all that this is supposedly a sermon about the way of the samurai and how important focus is. You know, that samurai focus um, he, this sermon, he's, the pastor's displaying the exact opposite of that audacious samurai focus because uh, we're all over the map here when he should be focusing us on Christ. Go to church in your community. Same with Big Lake and Zimmerman. They may not drive here, but they will drive to church in your town, which is why we put campuses in those towns. 
so that you could invite your friend in your town to go to that campus. I used to live in Zimmerman, and I, I worked at a church in Brooklyn Park. I could never get my friends to go. It was just way too far. They weren't going to do it. So our goal, by the way, I'll give you this next one. This is kind of cool, man. Our goal is this. God's called us to open 200 campuses in 20 years in Minnesota, Wisconsin, North and South Dakota, and Iowa. That's what we're doing next. We're going to make sure the entire mid-northern... They're going to have 200 campuses, 20,000 people. Wow. Yeah, this is Sir, an audacious focus on himself. Called us to open 200 campuses in 20 years in Minnesota, Wisconsin, North and South Dakota, and Iowa. That's what we're doing next. We're going to make sure the entire mid northern Midwest is the hardest place to go to hell from. That's what we're doing. Well, that's a great dream and everything, but if you're going to actually execute on it, that requires you to actually preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm not hearing you do that. You think I'm joking? I'm going to take over the world. (laughs) I seriously am because my Jesus is awesome. And when he gets a hold of a life, the world changes. One life. I'd like to know a little bit more about your Jesus. Could you just stop yapping about yourself and open up your Bible and start telling me something, you know, maybe some important things about your Jesus? I'd like to find out a little bit more about him and a lot less about you. If 200 campuses showed up in these places, it would. Because the only hope in all the world is the church of Jesus Christ. This is my audacious mission and vision. This is my calling. I will eat, breathe, sleep, and die for this mission. And I will not run in fear from it either. What's yours? See, God's got a race for you to run. And if you wimp out on that race, it's just because you were a coward. It's just because you were a coward. At the end of the day, wouldn't you rather have tried and failed than not tried at all? But most people never try because it's too scary when they could have done awesome. Oh, by the way, just to be fair and safe. And so you, you catch the human side of me just for a second. Like people like, like that guy on the stage isn't real. I'm, I am seriously real. Uh, well, when we first decided we were going to, we were going to do this building project. Um, I had a consultant I paid to come talk to us about it. And he's like, Oh, you guys will never raise the money for this. It's not possible. You'll just never do it. Your, your people won't, won't give to this. And I was like, what? Are you serious? They went all the way out. The economy's hard. And people, people don't care about people anymore. They're just not going to get this. You might raise a million dollars, and the project is seven million. So I went away from the meeting, and I was like, well, I guess, I guess we can't do it. And so I lowered the project cost from, one to, from, from seven million down to three million. And I shrunk my vision down. I was like, oh, because people just, they're not, they don't really care. And so we'll just shrink it down. And I was reading my Bible one morning. I was sitting, sitting in the service, or, or not sitting in the service, sitting at home on my couch. And all of a sudden, it was like God whispered in my ear. He didn't talk to me audibly because he's never done that because that would be weird. And I would probably fall over and die. <laughs> but all of a sudden, he just whispered over me, Eric, you shrunk your vision. I want to do greater things with this church. I don't want to do small things with this church. And I was talking with a pastor friend. The first thing he said to me when he, when he, when he heard about this church and what God's done in the last, in the, in the last, six, in the last six years, he goes, Eric, Eric, your vision's too small. Your vision's too small. And I realized I was living in fear. And so we adjusted this and said, no, we're going to go after the $7 million project. We are, man. We're going to go after the whole thing. We're going to do, do all of this because otherwise we only reach a certain number of people. And then, by the way, i got to come back to you two years from now. I want to do the whole thing all over again so we can finish the project. I might as well just get it all done now and reach some people. So I didn't show you this in any other services, but there's actually another piece to this, this, this fly-through video. Um, there's a... 
There's a part of the video that I, I skipped because I didn't think, oh, there's no, it won't happen. There's no way. But I, I'm not going to live that way. I'm going to live in confidence that this is what God really has called us to. We're going to build a, 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 a lobby off the back of this building to house 1,500 people so that they can wait in the wings while the 1,500 are sitting in the service. And all of that space over there that we could have used for a lobby, we can actually give to the kids' space so that kids can have the, 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 the size space they need to love Jesus. And so I just want to, I want to show you. Why don't you build a roller coaster in there while you're at it? And maybe even a rocket to the moon. Um, I could care less about this. Why don't you tell me about that great Jesus you uh, say we need to be focusing on? How come you're not talking about him? And so I just want to, I want to show you the rest of the project, which I've never showed till now. So check it out. And now we're watching a video about his vision for the building in the church. I thought this was all about audacious samurai warrior-like focus on Jesus. When are we going to get to that part? Or maybe Jesus is just getting in the way of him being able to talk about... I mean, yeah, that's true, because... If he had to talk about Jesus, then he wouldn't be able to talk about himself and his vision and his plans and how he's going to single-handedly make certain states within the Midwest the hardest places to go to hell. But he's all going to do this. He's going to do that without preaching Jesus, all the while telling us about the importance of preaching Jesus. That's the whole deal. That's what we would actually like to see accomplished. And it's really going to depend on what we as a church decide to do. Whether we're going to get audaciously focused or just, you know, like kind of like weak butt focused. I can't say that other word in church. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We're either going to give a little, or we're going to care a little bit, or we're going, to do, we're going to bring it big time. We're going to go off the hook audacious, which is what my family and I decided we're going to do. And I'm going to challenge you with the same thing. You have an audacious calling from God. It's to depopulate hell. You are to do that with your whole life. You're to orbit your life, your family, your, your future, your everything. I thought the only way that we could cut down the attendance in hell is by, well, it's not even us doing it. I mean, you see, what did Paul say? I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Um, yeah, see, it's the gospel, preaching Christ and him crucified, proclaiming the saving work of Jesus, telling the story of Jesus that then the Holy Spirit uses to regenerate them, raise them from the dead spiritually, give them new life and faith and repentance and the forgiveness of your of their sins. My life ain't going to do that. I, I, you know, yeah, no, when it takes people roughly about 34 seconds to figure out that I'm a sinner. And if it takes them longer than that, I, I, they're probably not, well, they just don't have a clue as to what sin is. So I got to preach Christ. Yeah, the, his life, not mine. With the same thing. You have an audacious calling from God. It's to depopulate hell. You are to do that with your whole life. You're to orbit your life, your family, your, your future, your everything around your church so your church can reach more people far from God. That's the point of church. That's the point of the Christian life. That was the point of Jesus' life. And so I would dare you to do it. But I'm not going to live in fear of what if we don't do it? We're just going to do it. Maybe you should double dog dare him. I mean, that'll really motivate him. That's... 
going to ask the question again. What do you know that God, you could do for God if you couldn't fail? If you don't do it, you're a coward. You're a coward. Does it make sense? I mean, did Jesus talk this way? I, I remember him calling down woes on people who wouldn't repent of their sins. But I don't remember Jesus just kind of being lippy and saying, Oh, Peter, you don't want to change the world, but you're a coward. I have this big plan for you, uh, and you, the reason why you're, you're not doing it is because you're just a coward, man. You need to man up, Peter. Such a wimp. I mean, here I could do all these great things. You could be a world changer, Peter, but, man, you're a coward. Yeah, I, I just don't I, at all, not even for a second, see Jesus talking this way to uh, anybody. And, I mean, this guy isn't audaciously focused on Jesus. I'm going to beat that point into the ground. He's, well, audacious is probably the right way of putting it because that's not necessarily a good thing. But he truly is audaciously focused on himself but not on Christ. And he's not pointing people to Christ. He's pointing people to him. I'll give you a second part of audacious focus, though, from this passage, man. Secondly, you've got to strip away distractions, man. You've got to strip away distractions. This is Hebrews 12, verse 1 again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses. Yeah, the distractions that it's talking about there is sin. Not just any old distractions. It's talking about sin. Read the passage. One time I went, uh, I went on a fishing trip in, in the middle of October. It was like October 15th on Lake of the Woods. Have you ever been up on Lake of the Woods in, in the, about the middle of October? It's already snowing. I don't care if you've been to Walt Disney World. Who cares? Would you open up your Bible and actually preach Christ? And, and, and then the shorelines are already frozen, and only the centers of the, of the lake now is, is thawed. And so every morning we get up, and we brush off the snow, and we crash through the ice with, a, with with our boat to get out to the lake to go fishing. And I was wearing like three pairs of jeans with like a big set of coveralls over the top. I don't care if you were wearing a tuxedo. Stop preaching about yourself. You're telling us how important audacious focus is on Christ, and you're not doing it. And like I have this, like four or five different layers over, like, and the, the, the line, the line would all freeze in the guides when you're trying to fish. And it was awesome. We caught like a billion and a half fish. Now, crap, I'm sidetracked. <laughs> but seriously, here, here's the thing. If I had fallen over the side of that boat with all that clothes on, I would have died instantly. I would have like, I would have dropped like a rock. They would have been like, bye, Pastor Eric. You're just gone, man. I had so much clothes on. There's no way, because all the clothes drag you down. Do you know that distractions in your life drag you down too? The things in your life that distract you keep you from an audacious focus and never accomplishing anything great. They just, they just, they just suck you down and you never do anything great. Do you know what the, the biggest distractions in life are? They're the good things in life. They're the. Let me read the, the so-called passage that he's supposedly preaching on. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The biggest distractions in life are? They're the good things in life. 
They're these right here. I'll put them up on the screens. People, pleasure, and treasure. The stuff that messes people up the most are people, pleasure, and treasure, man. I see, I see dudes all the time. Dudes like, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to love Jesus. I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. Hi, girl. Gone, man. Whoa. Because people mess us the heck up. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to love Jesus. And this girl, the girl's, oh, look, hi, guy. And the girl is just gone. How about like this one? You know, I got a pastor who's supposed to be preaching about Jesus. And whoa, whoa big vision for, for a big building and a, and a big crowd. Us the heck up. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to love Jesus. And this girl, the girl's, oh, look, hi, guy. And the girl is just gone. Focused on, or I'm going to love Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. And your friend's like, dude, come on with me. Okay. And your friends mess you the heck up. Many times the good people in our life mess us up the worst. Like pastors from seeker-driven churches. And they get us on lesser projects than something awesome. Yeah, like building uh, the personal empire of the seeker-driven pastor rather than preaching Christ and him crucified for our sins. Yeah, I, I, I hear you, man. You're preaching it now. How about the second one I put up there? Pleasure, man. So I talked to this about last week, man. We had the, we had the lazy boy up here. I'm kicking back and relaxed. Some people all about pleasure. And the reason why you never, ever focus on anything is because you'd much rather drink a six-pack, fart, and eat a pizza. Straight the heck up. The reason why nothing ever good happens in your life is you never bother to put your butt in gear and get out of the lazy boy and accomplish anything because you'd much rather go to McDonald's and eat a cheeseburger. And so you just you just waste away your life, you know? I, I'm going to watch another football game and I'm going to play some more video games and nothing ever occurs with your life and it's all your own dang fault. You get distracted by pleasure. And then third, we can't forget about treasure. Some people, they're all about the treasure, you know, like, like, like it's, it's, it's the, new, the newest version of the iPod came out. Oh, my gosh, I got to get it. Or the iPhone or this thing or that thing. And, like, gadgets are your life. And so if you get the coolest gadget, this is my self-worth. It's wrapped up right in my phone. Look how awesome I am. I have the newest phone. No, you're a dork with a phone. But you think you're cool because you bought a $500 phone. How dumb is that? You know why you think this? It's because marketers have gotten inside your brain to tell you it's only cool if I have the latest phone. It's only cool if I have the latest this or the latest that. And if it's only cool if I had 20,000 people and 200 campuses across the Midwest all playing my sermons so that I can entertain them. And you listen to this. Smart people are paid billions of dollars to make sure you suck up more consumerism when you could be smarter than this. See, none of those things are bad. People, pleasure, treasure, all good stuff, man. I hope you have a nice car. I hope you have a good house. I hope hope you get to relax and take a vacation. I hope you have a hot wife. I do. Everybody deserves a hot wife. (laughs) At the same time, the truth of the matter is, many times this stuff just ruins us from ever accomplishing anything great. And God's got greater things in store for your life. I, I actually like, um, there's a story, uh, in the, the chapter in front of the chapter I had you look up is a story about Moses. And in Hebrews chapter 11, this is what happens in Moses' life, and I want you to see this, this is so cool to me. Hebrews 11, 24 to 26, it says this, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, He refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. People. I don't need to hang out with the cool people. 
I got bigger things in store for my life than just the cool people. I don't need people. I need Jesus. Keep going. He refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy. Oh, look, there's the word pleasure. The pleasures of sin for a season. I would much rather be about something awesome than just another lazy boy and a pizza and a six-pack. Pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace, look at this, for the sake of Christ as greater value than all the, oh, look, there's the word treasure. Than all the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his focus, man. He was looking ahead to his focus, which is, or his reward, because that's his focus, man. That's just focus. The reason why people talk about Moses 4,000 years after Moses lived and led the people out of Israel, out of, out of Egypt, is because he was focused. Nope, because God chose him. Because God used him as the instrument for saving Israel. Good night. Focus! Stop being all what's, what's, what's shiny. If you would get some focus and strip off the stuff. So I got a question for you. What person? Here's my question. Put it up. What person or pleasure or treasure is distracting you from accomplishing your audition mission from God? What is it? You know what it is. You know immediately. There's a girl. There's a guy. There's a friend. People make us stupid. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Strip them off. They're not that valuable. Jesus is waiting. Yeah, well, if based upon the fact that you can't even preach Christ and him crucified and tell us how important it is to, you know, you're telling us how important it is to, you know, to have an audacious focus on Christ, all the while you're not audaciously focusing on Christ, sounds to me like the person we should strip ourselves of is you. Earl, there's a guy, there's a friend. People make us stupid. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Strip them off. They're not that valuable. Jesus is way more valuable. Yeah, I concur. That you, we don't need you then, Pastor. We need a pastor who will preach Jesus because he's more valuable. What pleasure is so valuable that you got to drink another six-pack? you got to drink another six-pack. you got to eat another pizza. you got to eat another pizza, which is, by the way, why, why Americans tend to be like 300 pounds. Because we're just wrapped up in pleasure. I'm, I, I have a metabolism issue. Really? I'm sorry you do. I'm sorry you do. You still don't have to eat that much. You know what I'm saying? Flat out. You still don't have to eat that much. Stop using that as an excuse and eat some less food. You could accomplish something awesome with your life. But you have to cut out some pleasure to get it done. That means you don't get any pleasure. You should still get pleasure. But you got to get your priorities in order. And how about treasure? This is all law. There is no gospel here at all. I mean, he mentions it in passing as an example of how focused Jesus was. But apparently it doesn't apply to you. Let out! You still don't have to eat that much. Stop using that as an excuse and eat some less food. You could accomplish something awesome with your life. But you have to cut out some pleasure to get it done. That means you don't get any pleasure. You should still get pleasure. But you got to get your priorities in order. And how about treasure? You really need another iPhone? Another TV? Really need another Cadillac? Oh, maybe you can have that too. I hope you get it. But I would tell you there are greater things than shiny things. There's watching somebody's life who was so messed up and screwed up suddenly bow a knee and give the leadership of their life to Christ. 
and be forever changed. There's no great. That is my drug, man. That's my crack. Then why aren't you preaching the gospel? Off some crap. Are you with me? Audacious focus. But there's a third aspect of this in this passage. We got to talk about this. We got to number three. You got to ruthlessly cut sin out of your life. Ruthlessly cut sin out of your life. Ruthlessly. I love the word ruthless. That's a good word, man. You should ruthlessly carve, chop off sin from your life. The verse is this, Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses in the life of faith, let us strip off every weight. Strip it off. That slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Doesn't sin just trip you up? Have you ever tried to run a race with your shoelaces tied together? I tried to preach one time with my shoelaces tied together. I'm not making it up. I thought it would be a really good example, and I was trying to preach about how, like, sin will trip you up, and I couldn't preach at all. <laughs> it was terrible. It was ridiculous. And it was all because my shoelaces tied together. The verse just says this. This is what sin does to you. You can't accomplish great things because you tie your shoelaces together and fall on your face over and over and over again because you love stupid stuff like porn. And you love stupid stuff like drinking too much. And you love stupid stuff like lying. Or dropping your pants again for that girl or that guy. And then you can't figure out why you don't ever accomplish anything. Because you're focused on stupid stuff. It's called sin. The Bible calls it sin. And it's wrong. Um, you know, uh, last time I checked, um, you remember the whole Tiger Woods debacle? <laughs> yeah, It's been over a year now. It's been over like a year and a half at, at least. And every, you know, prior to his big fall and everybody figuring out that uh, he was a philanderer, um, uh, he was very successful and he had a foundation and he was making a difference in the world. Hmm. This is not a proper biblical teaching because this guy's just whipping off whatever's on whatever's inside of his head rather than actually letting the text dictate what's being taught from the pulpit. These are all this the opinions of Eric Dykstra, some of them more sanctified than other opinions, but uh, him just rattling off his own ideas, focusing us on himself and teaching you by example and by his words to do the same, you know, to focus on yourself. Yet this uh, this isn't this about the warrior samurai warrior uh, samurai focus audacious focus on Jesus and yet this sermon is anything but focused on Jesus. Visual illustration of how you cut the crap out of your life. It was called circumcision. This is a visual illustration. We're going to cut off part of your pickle <laughs> to remind you. That you should cut sin out of your life. It's going to be painful, dude. Here we go. Chop. Ah! Seriously, if you're going to get a guy focused, just cut off part of his pickle. He'll get focused. And that's what they would do, man. They'd chop off part of their pickle to remind them, dude, sin is bad. Cut it out of your life. Ruthlessly chop it the heck off. Okay, I want sin. That would get a dude focused. You know what I'm saying? By, by the way, then Jesus, then, then in, in Scripture, goes on to say this. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 16 Jesus or God says this circumcise not just your pickle <laughs> circumcise your hearts therefore and do not be stiff necked any longer circumcise your heart you know what he's saying get out the knife and carve the sin out of your heart do open heart surgery on your heart it's not enough to just be physically outwardly free of sin 
the Bible teaches us that it's God who replaces our heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And if you read Colossians chapter 2, it makes it perfectly clear that the circumcision of the heart is not done by us, it's done by Christ. In fact, if you have your Bible, flip on over to Colossians chapter 2, a beautiful passage of Scripture that audaciously focuses us on Jesus, unlike what uh, Pastor Dykstra is doing here. Colossians chapter 2, I'll start at verse 1, is a means of helping me floss out some of these things that he's been preaching about out of my mind. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of the day of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head and the rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by the putting off of the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead." And you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, and God has made made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Yeah, circumcision is a very is a very powerful biblical illustration. And the good news, dear Christian, is that here according to Colossians chapter 2, your hearts were circumcised when you were baptized. That's what it says. Read the text. And not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but the circumcision done by Christ. It was his work on you, done in you. It was he did it to you already. Physically, outwardly, free of sin, you got to cut the sin out of your heart because it will ruin you. See, out of your heart, the mouth speaks. Out of your heart, you do stupid stuff. It's in there first. And you've got to guard your heart and rip the sin the heck out. you got to be holy if you're going to accomplish anything great with your life. That's what Jesus was saying. So I'll give you a question too. I'll give you a question for this one. What, what, what sin do you need to cut out of your life in order to focus on accomplishing something audacious? What sin do you need to... This last week, I had to release a staff member. I had to release one. Because he was just living in sin and then lying to my face about it. Lied straight up to my face about it. So we were like, okay, we're cutting that the heck out. Gone. I had no, why? Because this place is going to be a place of holiness. 
By the way, um, what you cover, God will uncover. But by the way, what you uncover, the blood of Christ covers. All right, now we have the first actual application of the gospel to our problem. Yes, very good. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the Apostle John wrote in his first epistle. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins, and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Good. I'm glad that we finally got a little bit of Bible gospel application here. Didn't know if he had it in him. Which means you just got to get open and honest about the crap in your life. That's all you got? And get free of it. Uh, sounds like a lot of things I got to do. Not telling me about what Jesus has done. So what sin is in your life that you know? You, I'll give you a secondary verse about it. This is Jesus talking. If you think Jesus is like, oh, Jesus just said, turn you, he should forgive you. And he's just nice and grace and love and peace. And give me a lollipop. Well, this is what Jesus said. If, you, if, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, you should cut it off. So Jesus actually said, you should cut it off. It's better to go to heaven crippled. Or- Notice he's uh, taking away with the left hand what he offered there with the right. I mean, now apparently the gospel doesn't apply. I mean, yeah, if you confess that the blood of Jesus will cover it, but don't think that Jesus is forgiving. No, he wants you to cut it all off. Cut it off. It's better to go to heaven crippled or lamed and be thrown into unquenchable fire with both your hands and feet. Don't just cut part of your pickle. Cut your hands and feet off too. And if your eye causes you to sin, you should just chop it right out of your head. Gouge it out and throw it away. It's better to enter heaven half blind than with two eyes and be thrown into hell. I love that about Jesus. Jesus is not Mr. Rogers. He's not like, oh, I'm just nice and play with the toy truck and everybody should share. No, he's like, hey, cut that off if you're going to do stupid stuff with it. That's what Jesus actually said, man. He's saying this. By the way, he's not telling you to actually mutilate yourself. Don't do that. He's just trying to get you to the point that sin is evil and it's ruining you. Cut it off. Rip it out. Be ruthless. You see, that's the gospel, though, that he was cut off for us. He became the sinner so that we would be forgiven. You're not telling us. You're basically telling us that we are responsible for cleaning up our own act. But the Bible says we can't do that. Again, it's it's practically impossible to figure out what the Bible actually teaches if all you're hearing is one or two verses out of context, of, you know, for a few Sundays in a row. Good night. Sin is evil and it's ruining you. Cut it off. Rip it out. Be ruthless about the evil crap in your life. I dare you. Dudes in here looking at porn, by the way, that's like 90% of you. I dare you to tell your wife on the way home tonight. Cut it out, or she's going to find the heck out, and that's going to suck bad. Might as well just tell her. If you're single, dude, tell another friend and say, dude, I struggle with looking at naked people online. I don't want to do that anymore. And he's going to go, oh, me too. (laughs) (laughs) And then together you'll stop looking at naked people. But you're going to have to cut the garbage out of your life if you're ever going to accomplish greatness at all. Greater things than what God's called you to. But if your shoelaces are tied together, you're going to keep falling on your face and falling on your face and falling on your face. 
Are you with me? You know what it is, man. You know what sin you got to cut out. Maybe it's lying. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's just porn. I don't know. Uncover it and God will cover it. You keep it covered. I promise you he will uncover it and it's going to suck for you. Greater things. Audacious focus. Requires heart surgery. But there's one more aspect to an audacious focus. One more aspect. You got to keep your eyes always only on who? Come on, always only on who? Jesus. See, the right answer in church is always just Jesus. Jesus. Yes. So now we're having people, you want always focusing on Jesus, but the entire sermon isn't, wasn't about him at all. This is just unbelievable. See, the right answer in church is always just Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> I could be talking about a squirrel. Yes, it's Jesus. <laughs> you say Jesus, everybody's like, cool. They're smart. They love Jesus. <laughs> but it's true, man. Your life is always only about Jesus. It's not about your pastor. I'm not awesome. Only Jesus is awesome. It's definitely not about you. You're not awesome. Only Jesus is awesome. By the way, awesome means worthy of worship. Your life's got to be focused on him if you're going to do anything great. And the verse says this, Hebrews 12, 2, the second part of this verse. We do this. We do what? We do greater things. By keeping our eyes on Jesus, the great champion, the great samurai, who initiates and perfects our faith. Uh, yeah, we're 90-something um, yeah, percent through the sermon, and you haven't been focusing us on Jesus for the entire sermon. He's like, right by their eyes. You know what I'm talking about? How many know what I'm talking about? Put your hands up. All the campuses. Okay, good. Like, why do they put blinders on? Because horses get skittish all the time. They're like, oh, shiny. Or they get freaked out, and they go the other direction. And so to keep horses from being all freaky, they put the blinders on so they keep their focus. And they don't do stupid stuff. They actually can accomplish their mission. Pulling the cart. Same is true with you. If you put some blinders on and stop focusing on shiny and start focusing on Jesus, you could accomplish your mission. Same exact thing. I'll give you a great example of this. Peter. Jesus comes, there's a storm going on, and Peter's walking on water. Or Jesus is walking on water, he's like, she's riding the wave. He's riding the wave. What's up, guys? And he's like, surfing the waves, right? You know the story? And all of a sudden, he's like, hey, Pete, you want to you ride the waves with me? And Pete's like, yeah, I want to ride the waves. So he steps out of the boat and walks on water. Only other guy to ever do that. He says, as long as he kept his eyes on Christ. Look at this. I'm walking on water. This is sweet. But then the passage goes on to say that he saw the wind and the waves. Oh, shiny. He got distracted and took his eyes off of Jesus. And what happened to him? Sank like a stone, man. Sank like a stone. But if he kept his eyes where they're supposed to be on the author and finisher of our faith, the perfecter of our faith, the initiator of our faith, the everything all the time, if he kept his eyes on Jesus, he would have walked on water forever. He'd have walked up to Jesus and been like, What's up, man? Thanks. And they give each other the high five, the Jesus high five. I don't know what that looks like, but it's like, what's up? And he's like, getting the vote. You're going, dude, that was sweet. You should walk away. I know, man. That was cool. Why? Because he kept his eyes where they're supposed to be. Your life is not any different. If you're going to live an audaciously 
focused life. There's only one focus. And it's not your pastor. And it's not your friend. It's not your checkbook. It's Jesus. Uh, Then why didn't you spend the entire sermon in one of the gospel texts preaching about Jesus? Hmm? See, guys, I called you to an audacious task. I called this church to an audacious task. I said, I dare you to give over and above your regular giving for two solid years. This is what I give every week. I give 50 bucks a week or I give 100 bucks a week. I'm going to give over and above my regular giving for two solid years, and I want you to sign a commitment card saying, I'm going to do this for people who are far from God and to honor my Jesus. But I don't want you focused on your pastor because your pastor is an idiot. But your Jesus is wonderful. And so I want you to... (laughs) Yeah, it's best if I don't uh, chime in there. But your Jesus is wonderful. And so I want you to seek Jesus with what you're supposed to do with this this deal. You know that's next week, right? You're going to turn a commitment card in next week. You're like, man, I'm not ready for that next week. Well, let's see if I can help you with this a little bit. We're going to fast and pray. I'm going to call our church to a one-week, seven-day fast. I, I, gave you a, I gave you an envelope on the way in. Probably at all the campuses we gave you envelopes, or at least every, every couple got an envelope. Can you get those out for a second? Just get them out. Hold them up. You know what this is? Don't, don't, you don't have to open it up yet. I just want to tell you what this is. The, t- the outside of it is a fasting guide. I want to give you the guidelines for fasting because nobody eats, nobody fasts anymore. We just go to buffets. That's the truth. So I'm going to call you to a one-week fast. Why? To keep your eyes on Jesus. I want you to stop eating food for a week to keep your eyes on Jesus. For one solid week, here's what I'm asking you to do. One of two things. After the service is over, with the service you're watching on, whatever. After the service is over, I want you to eat one more meal. And then I either want you to switch to liquids for seven days. Just drink only liquids for seven days unless that's beer. Don't drink beer for seven days. That'd be awful. <laughs> that'd be bad. Woo! Okay. Anyway, just, just drink liquids for seven days. So for me, man, uh, I, I did a week of liquids. I did, and then this last week, I did fruits, vegetables, and nuts. And then starting today, again, I switched back to strawberry, strawberry and banana shakes. Pretty much what I'm doing. For a solid week. Why? Because I'm seeking Jesus. And every time I want to grab some food, I'll remember, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to pray. And it reminds me to put my focus back on what it's supposed to be. Not me, not my life, but Jesus. And so I'm going to dare you. I'm going to challenge you to do something crazy and get some audacious focus. Seven-day fast. And either go total liquids for seven days to seek God. Or I want you to do seven days of fruits, vegetables, and nuts. Or just be vegan. And you're in Minnesota. Nobody's vegan in Minnesota. (laughs) Everybody wants a steak. I dare you to do it, man. Seven days. Why? So that you can focus your life on Christ. And here's what I want you to do while you're seven days. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray. And we say this. God, what would you ask me to do for the next? I want you to tell me specifically, what do you want me to give to this campaign so that the crossing can reach more people who are far from Christ? For seven days, I'm going to pray and ask God, what will I give to this? And then next week, you're going to turn in a card. I want you to get your card out. There's a card in this program. I want you to get it out. Looks like this. It's the bigger one. It's brown. It says commitment card on it. Got it? Hold it up. Here's what you're going to do next weekend. After seven days of praying and fasting and not talking to your pastor, but talking to your Jesus. Because we're not a cult. We love Jesus. 
You're going to ask Christ, what would you call me to give over and above my regular giving so that we actually can reach people who are far from God and become the church you've called us to be? And next weekend, you're going to sign one of these cards. You're going to pick your amount. You're going to drop it in the bucket. Now, here's the thing. Some of you are like, God never talks to me when I ask him, when I pray and fast. Because you know people have asked, told me this the last couple of weeks? Like, you told me to seek God about this, but God never talks to me. That's why we're doing this. So God might talk to you so you could figure this out. Yeah, not pointing people to the Bible and, you know, no, no, we're supposed to now, if, if we do the right thing, maybe God will talk to us. Oh, man. But God never talks to me. That's why we're doing this. So God might talk to you so you could figure this out. Seriously. We're going to build a building, but God's trying to grow your faith. He wants to actually talk to your life, to your heart, to your mind. He wants to speak to you. And so we're going to ask you for seven days to say, God, what would you have me give? Now, here's the thing. Most of you already have it in your head what you're going to give. You've been here the last two weeks or at least the first week of this or whatever. You already know. You have some kind of idea what kind of number you think you want to give. What I want you to do is confirm it from Jesus. Don't ask somebody else. Confirm it with Jesus. Say, God, I got like this number in my brain. And this is kind of what I'm thinking. Do you want me to go bigger or less? Whatever you say, I'll do it. And then I want you to pray and fast for seven days. And he'll whisper over your life, I want you to go bigger. Or that's the number. Or I want you to go less. And then do whatever he says. And next weekend, we are together going to make an audacious commitment. And as we make this commitment, God's going to do an audacious thing in our communities. So this is your challenge for the next week. The second thing I want you to do this week to help you with your audacious focus, is we gave you a card that says Code of the Samurai Family Conference Guide. I dare you to do this. I dare you to have a... Yeah, all these things, again, uh, don't focus us on Jesus at all. You a card that says Code of the Samurai Family Conference Guide. I dare you to do this. I dare you to have a family meeting. I know they did that in the 50s. I know you can do it again. <laughs> like, what? I have to sit down with my whole family? Yes, your whole family. I sat down with my wife and my kids and said, this is what we're going to give for the next two years of our life. I wanted my kids to know this. Why would I, why do you want your kids to know this? Because you want to show your kids that your love is on Jesus. You want to help them understand that we're doing this together as a family and as a church. And together, you don't really need another iPod. You need to love Jesus. I know a family that told me this last week they're going to give their their wife's entire income. Husband and wife both work. Wife couldn't get a job. They said, God, if you give my wife a job, I will give the whole income for the next two years. Wife got a job the next day. That's cool stuff. What my challenge to you is to seek God and actually get some focus on Christ. Yeah, why don't we start with the pulpit? You know, you putting away all this other stuff and actually opening up the Bible and preaching Christ from the Scriptures. Every page of it. Think you could do it? Done. Not because we're looking for a project. Because projects are stupid, but Jesus is wonderful. And lost people matter to him more than anything else, and so we're going to get it done. And we're going to get it done with audacious focus. Are you with me, church? I'm going to end, but... Uh, I just want to repeat what we talked about all, all, all throughout the course of, uh, of this evening. We talked about audacious focus, man. We talked about know God's mission for your life. What is it? What's God's mission for your life? Cue sappy music. What's God's mission for your life? You've got to strip away the distractions. 
you got to ruthlessly cut sin out. And then, by the way, you got to focus on Jesus and not your pastor. Or your- yeah, I, 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 I think we have to ruthlessly cut you out because uh, you don't seem to know what it means to actually focus on Jesus. Your friends or your hot girl. You got to focus on Jesus if you're ever going to accomplish anything great. This last week, I uh, was talking with a lady. My, my wife and I were talking with this lady, and she, and she asked us what we do, and we said we're pastors. This is crazy. She looks, and, and, and she said, "Well, you, can you want to do this thing with us and like hang out with us over here?" And like, and she was trying to like get us to do stuff with her and hang out with her. And we were just like, "Well, you know, we, we don't really do that because our life is really, really focused right now." It's focused on honoring God's mission for our lives, to making sure that we're effective and we reach people who are far from God. And she said, you know what she said to us? I'm, I'm still totally dead serious. She said, oh, how sad. She's, this is somebody who calls herself Christian. Oh, how sad. And I wanted to laugh in, in her face. I wanted to be like, ha, 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 that's hilarious. Because you're going to go home and you're going to make some food and you're going to watch some TV and you're going to die. Ha, I'm going to change the world. The sad one is her. The sad one is her. My life is going to count for something. When I go to the grave, it's going to, I'm going to do. It's me. I'm going to, I'm going to, my life, I'm going to, I'm going to. You know what? Here's the deal. If you were really preaching Jesus and really consistent about, you know, focusing people on Christ, you'd be telling about how his life makes the difference, not yours. The sad one is her. My life is going to count for something. When I go to the grave, it's gonna, I'm going to do everything in my power to change the world for the only one who matters. Uh, the only one who matters already did that. He conquered sin, death, and the devil. He's all, all he's asked you to do, sir, is teach that good news. Tell people about him. Preach the gospel and make disciples. You're not doing that. You're you're distracted by your own delusions of grandeur. And it's not me, it's Jesus Christ. My life mission is going to get fulfilled or I will die trying. Will not live in fear. Why should you? But you got to decide to stop wasting your life and start using it for something that's important and valuable. And that's just Jesus. It's always only Jesus. And so my challenge to you is one week, fast and pray. And make the most audacious commitment of your life next week. And you watch. Greater things are coming. This is the smallest this church is ever going to be. Yeah, and yet he said it was all about Jesus and it's all about him. Why is it the people who scream the loudest, it's all about Jesus, then they they never say anything about him? Because we're going to do it together. Will you pray with me? No. Jesus, I... No, I I don't know which Jesus you actually pray to, uh, because you didn't tell me anything about him. So I'm not sure which one you actually believe in, the biblical one or the one of your own imagination. So I, I think it would be very unwise of me to allow you to, you know... Pray for us. I mean that you know that would be bad. I, I don't want to be cursed by uh, a false Jesus, which may be what you believe in. Code of the Samurai. 
supposedly about an audacious focus on Jesus. It was an audacious focus, all right, but it wasn't on Jesus. Unless, of course, um, Eric Dykstra is Jesus, but I don't think he is. I need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio. And uh, when you do that... um, there are perks and bonuses, and, and that is is that uh, you know Pirate Christian Radio uh, is now in the process of publishing really good theological works in in EPUB and Kindle format as well as PDF. And so when we publish those books, you will have access to them. You will be uh, you will be given the ability to download those and add them to your own uh, electronic library of good theology books. And uh, at no extra charge. So that's you know that's that's one of the perks that we have for you. And uh, shortly here, probably early uh, early to mid next week, we're going to be releasing uh, the the sermon uh, thirteen sermons that were uh, that were preached by Martin Luther on the Passion of Christ. These are fantastic. So if you are a member of our crew, uh, you will uh, you will receive. Uh, that book at no extra charge. And so, you know, I just want to thank you for joining our crew. It means a lot to us, and uh, it helps us keep doing what we're doing. Of course, if you would like to uh, make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. You can email me. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. We remember that tomorrow. Amen. Amen.